We're going to be jumping back into our Unstoppable Blessings series. So if you have your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 30. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the chair rack right below you or somewhere near you. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And it will be this morning on page 24 of your chair rack Bible, Genesis chapter 30, uh, as you're turning there. We are in the story of a man named Jacob uh, on Sunday mornings as we look at that together. We are looking at uh, his life and how God has worked through him and blessed him and how the blessing of God continues on throughout history, even to ourselves. So Genesis chapter 30, we're going to be picking up in verse 25 where we left off last week. Have you ever recognized something that you should have or not recognized something that you should have that has a significant impact on your life? Failed to recognize or missed something that you should have known, that you should have recognized or seen? That happened to me this morning. Um, Maybe it happened to you too. Happened to me this morning when uh, I got up and I made my coffee And I'm standing at the kitchen counter, and I am looking at the clock on the oven, and I am going, why am I up an hour earlier than I expected to be up? And I stared at it for a while, and then I looked down at my phone, and then I looked at the clock, and I looked at my phone, and I hadn't had my coffee yet. It took a while to set in to realize that we sprang ahead last night. Uh, We used to always make sure people knew before smartphones. Remember how it was before smartphones? If you were in a church before smartphones, we were making the announcement for like six months (laughs) that we were going to change clocks. We pretty much started at the end of fall back and just got you ready for spring ahead. And we were announcing it. We were printing it in bulletins. We were sending emails because here's what we knew. If you forgot to spring ahead, you were going to be an hour late for church. And if you were serving that day, we were really going to be in trouble. So we would always like make this announcement and prepare for it. And then smartphones came out and everyone's clocks adjusted on their own. But I have never gone where I completely forgot. So I totally missed out on last night's fun of going, it's, oh, it's really eight o'clock, eight o'clock, oh, it's really nine o'clock, nine o'clock, oh, it's really 10 o'clock. And I just woke up and went, I lost an hour of my life. Where did it go? Something significant happens, and you should have noticed it, and yet you missed it. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning when it comes to blessing. We're jumping back into the story of Jacob, and here's what happens in this morning's passage. This morning's passage, we've got people who experience God's blessing, but not everyone recognizes it as the God's blessing. Uh, not fully anyways. And I think sometimes that can happen in our lives, that you and I can experience something of God, can experience a blessing of God, but then not live recognizing that it is from God. So, and what is the danger of that? We're going to look at that a little bit this morning as we jump back into the story of Jacob. We're jumping back into, if you were with us last week, you know, we looked at a significant chunk of scripture. 
Jacob's life is like that. He, he just has these, there's these significant like chunks of scripture that describe incidences in his life. So we're doing that again this morning. We're going to jump into a kind of a lengthy part. So I'm going to read some and I'm going to summarize some. So that's why you might want to have it in front of you looking at it as I do this. We're going to pick up in verse chapter 30, verse 25. And this part of Jacob's life goes through all through chapter 31. Um, so it's a chunk, and I'll read some, and then I'll summarize some. Well, let me remind you where we're jumping into. Jacob uh, has been working for Laban uh, for he married two wives. And let me just give the same statement I made last week, because this might sound, this should sound odd to you, right? I often introduce myself when I'm teaching a class. I say, my name's Rick, I have one wife and two kids, and you should, that's the ratio you should keep, um, kind of keep it in that order. But sometimes when you read the Bible, you come to the Bible and you say, Jacob had two wives, and other people had multiple wives. If you look at Solomon, he had way too many wives. And you can look at this and you can say, is the Bible promoting, condoning polygamous relationships? And absolutely it is not. But the way we read it sometimes is we can read the Bible and say, well, this is a person God used, so God must be condoning everything in their life. And that's just not the case. The, the Bible is full of messy people who are living messy lives that God continues to work through. And one of the messiness is they keep marrying more than one wife. And God doesn't say, God never says this is good. God never says this is right. In fact, if you read the stories through that lens, you understand that every time it happens, it ends up in a mess. It always is a lesson to say, don't do this. It will not go well with you. And it never goes well with people. And it's the case with Jacob. But Jacob does marry two wives. He marries Leah and he marries Rachel. And the way he marries them is he has to pay a dowry to, his, to their father Laban, and he doesn't have any money, so the dowry he pays is his labor. And he works seven years for Leah, and then works another seven years as a dowry to Rachel. And that's where we kind of were last week, and, and they, there's also two other women involved, it's a mess. Go listen to last week's message, and that'll explain everything. Um, but there's, he's got, 13, he's got uh, 12 kids at this point. Um, he's got 11 boys and one girl. And, uh, and now we're jumping in, and he wants to leave Laban's house and go back to his homeland. And that's where we're jumping in in chapter 30, verse 25. Here's we go. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I might go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it to you. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through your flock today, 
removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb. And the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. All blessings, we've said in this series several times, all blessings have their origin in God. That God is the giver of all good things. We've said even as we, in the first week, as I defined the word blessing, I said one more way to define the word blessing is this. To say I'm blessed is to say it is well with me, but it is not because of me. It's well with me. Things are going good, but it's not because of me. It's not because of my effort. There is a blesser that I recognize. Right, And so in this passage, Laban realizes it is well with him, but it's not because of him. He says, he realizes, and it's been told to him that God has blessed him because of Jacob, and he does not want the golden goose to leave. So he tries to work out a deal. In fact, Laban is really the first recipient of the unstoppable blessing through Jacob. Really, Laban is blessed, even though he's a conniver, he's a cheat, uh, he's not nice, he's unkind to his daughters, and yet he's the first recipient of the unstoppable blessing through Jacob. His household is blessed because Jacob is there, and he doesn't want Jacob to leave. So he agrees to this deal. And this deal is a little hard for us to understand on the surface, but here's what's going on. Jacob says, look, you don't have to give me anything. Don't give me anything of what you have now. But here's what's going to happen. This is how you pay me. Any speckled or spotted or, or black goat that's born from here on out, those are the ones that aren't as valuable. No one really wants them. They're, they're not pure. They're not, no one, they're not as valuable. But not those that you have now, but those that will be born. Those will be my wages as I'm working for you. And for Laban, this conniver, it's like a win-win. Like, you want, the, you want the least valuable thing I have? Sure. Yeah, you're going to work for me and do that? And, and he says, sure, you can have that deal. Because he doesn't want Jacob to leave. Because what Laban knows is that all, he is being blessed because Jacob is with him. That God is somehow blessed. He doesn't believe in God. He just has been told that the reason he's being blessed by God is because Jacob is with him. It's important for us, let's step out of the story for a second into our situation to recognize that there is so much in our life that is good that we have had very little to do with. There's so much in each and every one of our lives. When we talk about blessing, that is good, that is well with us, that we have had very little to do with. The Bible in James chapter 1 says it this way, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, every good thing in your life, the Bible says, comes from God. That ultimately it goes back to God. That it has its origin in God. Continues, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? In other words, everything you have, every good thing in your life and my life ultimately is going to go back, if you go back far enough, to God. That all blessings have their origin in God. We are like kids building buildings out of Legos. That's what our lives are like. Someone else designed the Legos. Someone else made the Legos. Someone else purchased the Legos. Someone else provided the Legos. And we just build a building and say, look what I did. And it's kind of like that with our lives. That uh, what do we have that we didn't receive? What do we have that we haven't been given? And so recognize that all blessings go back to God. Jacob recognizes it. And Laban recognizes it, but sort of, because he still wants to have control over the situation in his life. Even though he recognizes or heard that it came from God, he still wants control. Let's pick it up in verse 35. Jump back into the story, and here's what it says. But that day, so Laban agrees to the deal. Sounds good to me. Then it says, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black. And he put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban agrees to Jacob's deal, but then he stacks the deck in his favor. He removes all of the speckled and spotted and has his son take them away. So all Jacob has to work with is the white pure sheep, and the least likely in Laban's mind to give birth to anything that's going to be speckled and spotted. Still within the letter of the law of the deal, but certainly not within the spirit of the deal. But he's a conniver. But then Jacob counters. Now it gets a little strange. Verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard the sons of Laban saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. A little strange, right? What's going on here? You're like, I don't know. I, how does that work? Could I get whatever color dog I want by peeling sticks? Both men are using their efforts to gain in the situation. 
Laban and Jacob. We don't know exactly what's going on with these sticks. I've heard and read a lot of theories in the, this week. There is not science to support what Jacob is doing, that doing this would result in spotted and speckled animals. I've seen some people that have tried to try and make the stretch and make the argument, but it just, it just doesn't seem to hold water to me. Jacob's more operating on a little bit of superstition. It's not unlike these days where a mom might be pregnant and someone would say, hey, if you will stare at these images, then you'll get your child to be more likely to be like this. If you will listen to this music, then your child is more likely to be like this. Or someone looks at a pregnant mom and says, oh, you're carrying this way. That means this about your baby. Or you're carrying high, you're carrying low. And we're just kind of making guesses. And it's a little bit superstitious. And that's kind of what Jacob is operating on in this case, a little bit. But here's what Jacob recognizes. That it wasn't the sticks. It was really God that was at work on his behalf. And here's how we know it, because let's pick up in verse 4 of chapter 31. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was. Here's why he does this. Uh, because he's, God just told him to leave, and he needs to have a confidential conversation with his wives. So he calls them out to the field. Let's have a conversation out here where nobody can hear us. And he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, that is their father, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. If he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Now listen to verse 9. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. It wasn't the sticks, it was the God of the sticks that, uh, that actually was doing this in Jacob's behalf. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. <clears throat> then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here am I, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. After hearing this, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Here's what's going on here. Tradition and history and legal times of this said this, that Jacob could not make his wives leave their family of origin. They had to go willingly or he would be seen as kidnapping them. So that's why he has this conversation. That's why he lays this out. Because he needs them to willingly go with him. 
And as he weighs this case out, Leah and Rachel are listening and weighing out the situation with their father. And here's what's interesting to me about this situation is as Jacob's laying out his case, what he doesn't do is say, I'm better than your dad. Come with me. Saying, don't you want to be with me? I'm better. That's not what he does. When you read through the passage we just read through, what he's really saying is the God of my fathers is a better father than your father. What he's really saying is, will you trust God? Because what he lays out in these verses is saying, God did this. God provided. God has been with me. God told me to go back. God told me to do this. What he's really saying to Rachel and Leah is God is a better father than your father. God is a better father than your father. And they weigh it out and they consider it and they say, yeah, our father has devoured all our money. What did, she, what did they mean by that? Well, these seven years that Jacob worked for each of them was supposed to be a dowry. And what a dowry was, was the father was supposed to keep that in safekeeping, in savings, so that if the husband, Jacob, ever died, there would be money to take care of the widow and their children. But that's not what Laban did. Laban said, you don't work for me seven years, that's my money. Work me another seven years, that's my money. And he took it as if it was his own. And Rachel and Leah saw this. And they realized their father just sold them like a piece of property for what he could gain. And what Jacob is saying is God is a better father than your father. And I think we need to pause and not miss that moment for a second because there's some of you, maybe many of us, maybe all of us that need to hear that. Some of you had great fathers, but they weren't perfect fathers. They all fell short. We all fall short at some point. But God is a better father than your father. Some of you had fathers that you can't even hear that word without hearing and feeling some pain that may come up in your heart or something that triggers something because you didn't have a great father. And maybe he hurt you and maybe he abused you and maybe he caused pain. And to even think of a prayer that would start out saying, our father who art in heaven is painful for you. And yet the scripture is saying, God is a better father than your father. God is a better father than Abraham was, who did a lot of things right, but at times fell short in trusting. God is a better father than blind Isaac, who couldn't tell the difference between his two sons coming to him. God is a better father than Jacob. He's a better father than Laban. He's a better father than you have ever known. And maybe that's just what you need to hear from this part of Jacob's life, that God is a better father, and you can trust him. And he loves you, and he cares for you. And when Rachel and Leah heard that, they said, okay, we'll go. Do whatever this God has told you to do. And they go. And Jacob recognizes that God was the giver of his blessing, not his cunning knowledge of animal husbandry. He didn't know Punnett squares at the time. Like he didn't, it wasn't this, the recessive genes. It was God that somehow brought about this wealth. And he recognized it. He experienced God's blessing. And so did Laban. But here's what's true. Sometimes when you experience God's blessing, it is tempting to remember your work and overlook 
God's work. Sometimes, here's the thing, you and I will all experience God's blessings in our lives, and when we do, it may be tempting to forget that God is actually the one that brought them about in our lives. That we experience it, but don't always recognize that God is the blesser. So Laban has just said, hey, I, I realize that I'm being blessed, that God is blessing me because of you. But let me summarize what's going to happen next in the story. Jacob and Leah and Rachel flee. They flee in secret. What happens is Laban is going to go off to shear his sheep, and it takes several days to shear the sheep, and it's done in a, in a different city. So he takes his crew and his sheep, and they go off to shear the sheep, and it's going to take about three days. And in that time, Jacob takes Leah and Rachel and all of his household and the animals and everything he has, and he heads in the other direction. And he takes off. And they leave in secret. Laban finds out about it when he gets back and he starts, he gets together what is a posse or a, almost a militaristic crew of people, and he's going to go and chase down Jacob. And he catches up with him. And in verse 43 of chapter 31, here's what it says. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, this is after he chases him down, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. What can I do this day for these are my daughters and for their children whom they have born. Laban, just a few verses ago, says, I recognize that I'm being blessed by God because of you, but when it comes down to it, it's not God's, it's Laban's. It's mine. It's mine. He claims ownership over all of it and doesn't give any credit to God doing it in any way. He says, it's mine. Your daughter, these girls, these, these wives that you think are yours, they're mine. The children that you think are yours are mine. The flocks that you think are yours are mine. He's, there is some truth to what he's saying. I mean, Jacob wouldn't have children if it wasn't for Laban's daughters. He wouldn't have sheep and goats if it wasn't for Laban's sheep and goats that he had as few as they were when he started. But it's a little bit like, remember when the pandemic started and we were all going to make sourdough? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and confess, but we were all going to be bakers. We're home. We didn't, some of us didn't even know what sourdough was. But somebody gave us a jar of something with some instructions, and we were going to make sourdough, right? Sourdough bread. And, and, and it's a little bit like if someone gave you a sourdough starter, and you kind of used that, and you continued to use it, and you baked bread. And then like years later, you're sitting down to dinner, and you put the bread on the table, and they knock at the door, and they come in, and they say, that's my bread. And there's some truth to it in that they gave you, I guess, a starter years ago. But there's not really truth to it, right? Because it's not really theirs with all the work that you've put in. And if you back up far enough, you realize, well, I mean, you had something that was given to you and then you gave it to me. I mean, you didn't grow the wheat, 
or even come up with the idea of wheat. You didn't come up with the fermentation process that goes on that, that creates the sourdough. Like, you didn't create that, right? Like, eventually, it all goes back somewhere that's before you. But we can be tempted to forget how much is not ours and how much has been given to us. We can be, when you experience the blessing of God, you have to be careful because you can be tempted to think it was you that brought it about. I mean, it's in the beginning, maybe not. In the beginning, you're, you're like, oh, thank God. Remember the day you moved into your first house or your first real apartment that you wanted to move into? Uh, you know, maybe it was a, a home that you had been hoping for and you were outbid and you had to put in different offers and you weren't sure and you were praying and God opened the door and God, this is going to be perfect for our family. Or maybe it's an apartment that you really wanted but the rent was pretty high and you had to save first months, last months and, and security deposit and you didn't think you could get in. But you finally got in. And that first day in there, you were thinking, I didn't do this. God did this. God brought this about. God made this happen. But then you make some rent payments and you make some mortgage payments and months go by and years go by. And you walk into your house now and you don't even think about it that way. You think, this is my house. This is my house. This is my car. These are mine. And we can fall, if we're not careful, into the same trap of Laban. These are my kids. Oh, but you dedicated them to the Lord on this platform at one. No, these are my kids. And I have to worry about them because no one else is going to take care of them. And you get anxious about them. And you get anxious about the mortgage payment or the rent payment because it's mine. And suddenly the possessions have a grip on you more than you have a grip on them. And this is what happened with Laban. I mean, he was totally blessed by God. It was given to him. He didn't even do anything. Jacob did all the work. But they have a grip on him. They have a grip on him such that he is just about ready to kill Jacob. He has got this posse and this militaristic force, and he's brought them together to steal, to take back what does not belong to him because it has a hold on him. Sometimes with our possessions and positions, it's the same way. Oh, if I lose this position, what will I do? There's no way I could go on. What would happen? Our lives are going to fall apart as if God did not provide it for you in the first place. Or this possession. How would we go on if we lost this? As if God had not provided it for you in the first place. And yeah, you worked for it. You should work for it. But who gave you the ability to work? The body, the skill, the mind that you were born in the place you were born in, that you were get the education and the, the education you were able to get, that you moved to the place you were able to move to. Maybe God opened a door for you to move to this country and on that first day, you said, thank you, God, but now that days have gone by. It's my country, it's my rights. These things can take a hold on us more than we have a hold on them. We can experience blessings of God but fail to recognize down the road that they've come from God. God is the one who blesses. God is our ultimate blesser and deliverer.
this final point, let's just look at, we're going to back up a little bit. We jumped down to verse 43, but I want to jump back to verse 22. God is our blesser and our deliverer. So let me jump back a little bit. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him, just like I said, for seven days, followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So you get the picture, right? Laban has got this military crew. He's pursuing Jacob and God confronts him in a dream. He says, don't say anything good or bad to Jacob. Leave him alone. And so then you have, I want to summarize what's kind of a strange scene of, described of Rachel who stole Laban's household gods without Jacob's knowledge and is hiding them in her saddle. Laban shows up and says, you took my kids, you took my grandkids, you took my stuff, but I'm really mad that you took my gods. And Jacob said, no one took your gods. And if anybody took them, they will be killed. He didn't know that Rachel had them. Laban uses it really as an excuse just to search the tents. I don't know that he cares that much about his gods. He just wants to know what else Jacob took. He searches him, doesn't find them. He doesn't find them because Rachel's hiding them. But when he doesn't find them, Jacob goes off because now he's indignant. You accused me of something and you found nothing. So then verse 41. These 20 years, Jacob says, I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me my way empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back as we close on this point. Here's what I want us to see on this point. Jacob says this. He's being delivered from Laban's hand, but it's not by his own strength. He's being blessed, but it's not because of what he did. Here's what I, I want us to see here. There's actually a motif that's going on here that, that I think it's important we don't miss. Here's what happens with Jacob. He gets miraculously delivered from the hands of Laban, who wanted to keep him there, wanted to keep him as his worker, laborer, slave, even was ready to kill him. He leaves with wealth. He leaves a rich man. There's a battle between the gods of Laban and the God of Jacob. And the gods of Laban are worth nothing. Household go Laban leaves this scene without his household gods. Nothing. They don't have any power. And there's a miraculous deliverance of God. It might be, if you're familiar with the Bible, starting to sound a little familiar. Moses is writing the book of Genesis and he's writing to the Israelites who have just been delivered out of Egypt. And as he's writing to them about being delivered out of Egypt, he's writing, it's the same with your forefather, Jacob. Jacob's name in 
next couple messages, Will Warren has been changed to, will be changed to Israel. That's where the nation of Israel gets its name. And his sons will start the nation of Israel. And later Moses will deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And what will happen is they'll be delivered out of slavery. What will happen is they will leave rich because God will have provided for them from the Egyptians. There will be a battle between the gods of the Egyptians and the God of Abraham. And there will be a miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea that they could not have brought about in their own strength. And Moses is writing this to them saying, this same thing happened to your father, Jacob. This is how God works. And if we fast forward to the time of Christ, that's really our story too. That we are caught, the Bible says, in the slavery of sin. That we are caught in, in a way that we have no way out of. But God... But God delivers you through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, through your faith in him. God delivers you in a miraculous way. He does what you and I could not do. And he doesn't just take you out of that. He blesses you. This unstoppable blessing comes through Jacob and it comes to your life. And sometimes it manifests itself in material ways, but that's not all we're talking about. He blesses you with joy. He blesses you with forgiveness. He blesses you with, with, with forgiveness of guilt and removal of shame. And God blesses you and he's good to you. He gives good gifts to you. And there's a battle between the gods and every lesser God is ultimately defeated. Every lesser God is ultimately defeated by Jesus. Every lesser God in your life and eventually every lesser God in this world. Because when Jesus comes back again for the second time, it says there's words that are written down as thigh. And the words say, King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, every lesser God falls. deliverance that comes about. This is the motif of God that he's working. It starts in Jacob. It goes to the deliverance of the children of Israel through the Red Sea. But it ultimately, that unstoppable blessing comes to you and me through Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When you experience that blessing, you can be susceptible to forgetting that what God has done for you. And this morning is just a reminder of that. You know, when I had to change that clock manually, I never forgot to do it. I never forgot. I never forgot. When I had to go, and I, I was thinking about it for weeks, I got to change all the clocks. I got to go adjust them. I had changed them before I go to bed. And I would think, but when it was all done for me, I forgot about it last night. Completely didn't even think about it. When your salvation has been accomplished by God through his miraculous touch, you are susceptible for potentially neglecting the great gift and forgetting what a great gift that that is. Let us be reminded through the life of Jacob. Not be like Laban who wants to say, this is mine, I did it. But remember like Jacob that God has done it that God did this and provided for us. 
and that we would not forget God's goodness to us at this point in our life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you today. Lord, and I thank you for your word today and the truth that comes through it. And Lord, if there's those in this room today, Lord, I I think that just needed to know that you are a better father. I pray that they would understand that and we would understand that in a better way today. To understand that the people of this world, even those that say they represent you, fall short. They don't do it perfectly. That you are a better father and that you can be trusted and that we can trust you. And so, Lord, help us to do that. And those that enter in this room maybe need to do that today. Maybe it's a step of faith for them to step out and just trust you that they would do that today. God, I pray for those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus and are known by that, but at times, Lord, forget that it is only by your grace that we have been delivered. It's not our effort. It's not us living a great life before you. It's not what we do. It is only by your grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross that we receive life and forgiveness. It's not ours. We've received it. That all the blessings in our lives, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. Lord, let us remember that and never forget that so we can live lives gratefully and joyfully because it's all been received from you. And Lord, those that may be in this room that have never taken that step, that have experienced your blessing, but have failed to recognize that it's from you. Lord, may you this morning, Lord, make it clear that you have been kind Lord, bring to our minds and our hearts the remembrance of every good gift you have given to us. And Lord, may that overwhelm each and every one of us that we would say, God, you are my God and I will follow you wherever you lead. That I will follow you all the days of my life for you have been good to me. May we, each and every one of us this morning,